0: what's up everybody it's reggie williams founder and ceo of ambrosia for heads and with me i have jake payne our editor-in-chief together this is our what's the headline podcast it's a heavy week man been a heavy heavy week how you doing
1: i'm doing all right man all things considered and you know as a a side of sorts man let me be among the first wish you a happy birthday i know it's a You know, your years of the birthday, always remember. And, uh, you know, as we look at loss, let's take time to celebrate another one for you.
0: Thank you, man. I appreciate that. You know, I I, I give you a lot of shit and you give me a lot of shit about our age gap. Uh, But, man, um, in times like these, I'm always grateful to get another one. But in times like these, like, um, even in a heightened way, you know, we had a really, really huge loss this week in hip hop. Um, We lost Takeoff from Migos to gun violence, um, something that has taken uh, over 60 artists in rap music since 1986, uh, which is just stunning. And we're gonna yeah. get to that. I want us to like really do a deep dive into that because you know there's been a lot of hot takes, there's a lot of like reports and rumors about what happened. We're not gonna get too deep into that, but what we do wanna do is kind of hold up a mirror to ourselves our culture um the things that uh in the environment in the in the real world that might affect that and try and dissect this because something's got to change something's got to change
1: yeah man i mean especially it feels like since nipsey um there's just this has become like the new norm and as you said over 60 i mean this is something that you know, I don't care how long if you've been following the culture for, you know, at least 35 years, it, it happens and it happens every year. But it's happening more and more. And it's um, it's stunning. And like you just alluded to, it has to stop.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. So, you know, before we get too into it, like uh, tell me about your relationship with Migos, Um, you know, either professionally or personally with the music, you know, either way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have no professional relationship. I, I've I've done some work for some affiliates of theirs. I, I want to say even some relatives, but I've never spoken to any of the three members. Um, truthfully, like you made me a fan. Um, you know, Circa 2016, maybe even before that, 2015, when Migos really got on a lot of radars. And, and let's not ignore the fact that these guys have been doing it for you know, over a decade, just really making inroads representing Gwinnett County, which is kind of an underrepresented part of greater Atlanta came with a new, you know, at least contemporarily, a new, a new flow, a new sound. Um, when 2016 bad and bougie hit, you know, in 2017, it was you that really kind of made them as we've done, I think in surprising to some of our dedicated fans, of of ambrosia for heads at a few points. You know, we we've covered the Waka Flockers, we've covered um, you know, YGs, we've covered folks that might not seem like bread and butter artists. And you really went to bat for these three guys. Um, even into last year with Avalanche, which was an amazing record. It was on our playlist for the better part of 2021. So yeah, I mean, I say all that to say I'm I'm a novice fan and one because of somebody who I share a lot of hip hop with kind of nudged me and said, yo, give these guys an additional chance.
0: Yeah, man, I, I'm a fan and I, I can't say I was a fan uh, from the beginning. You know, Versace is when I kind of came in and I didn't really love that song just because of the heavy repetition, but we had them on the BET award, BT hip hop awards. You know, it's the first time I met them, like briefly, I met them a couple times there and at an after Grammy party a few years later. Um, and then Drake hopped on to the remix, you know, like really kind of like elevating their profile. But it was when I started to pay attention, not just to the style, but to the actual lyrics and mm-hmm. you know the, the the actual lyricism they had that I really started to become a fan. And it was around the bad bougie time with culture. Um really loved that album. Um, like all three culture albums. Um You know, and there's so much collaboration work they've done over the years, you know, and they always seem to just be, you know, that they brought a lot of fun to hip hop. You know, you know, know, walk it like a talk it like videos that they did um, uh, for um, uh, stir fry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just uh, there's a lot of fun that they brought to hip hop. I remember the Lama Lama Red Pajama they did, um, you know, on Power, I think one uh, of uh, 106 in L.A., mm-hmm. which was great, man. Uh, so I thought they brought a different dimension. Um, I thought, you know, like a lot of Southern artists, their lyricism was underrated. Um, those guys could spit, man. You know, so I was I was a fan for sure.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I like the fact that you know they were younger guys. I mean, you know, the obvious, you know, in reporting um, takeoffs, death. He's twenty eight years old, and that's that's ten years younger than I am, you know, right now. And these guys, you know, even a even a joint um, like iceberg, you know, that I just alluded to, or excuse me, avalanche, you know, reference it references um, temptations. Papa was a Rolling Stone. There's a new song um, on Quavo and Takeoff's album, which came out last month. That you know is is so fresh and so clean by Outkast. Like these guys brought history with them, and I know a lot of folks may have seen the headlines of them kind of sparring with Lazy Bone um, and and some of the other members of Bone Thugs over the you know origins of that flow or the best group in hip hop. But there's a lot of folks in this game that don't respect um, what comes before them. And that's something that I would never say about the Migos. And I I like that.
0: Yeah, same here, man. Same here. You know, so speaking about what comes before them, what I thought we could do today is really do a deep dive into the history of violence and rap music. Um, You know, it's something that is discussed a lot. I'm going to lean into my age today and and talk about things because a lot of this stuff I experienced real time. You know, for me, a lot has changed from the very beginning um, when I first dialed in, and we'll get to the the details in a few minutes. But, uh, you know, what I don't like to do is have nostalgia and rose-colored glasses and think, ah, you know, back in my day, you know, it was different. I really try to be objective. You know, um, when we did our Finding the Go MCs, um contest we talked about nostalgia. We did a mini documentary. People can check that out on our YouTube channel about how people tend to glorify the past. Um and I've always said the golden age of hip hop is from 1978 to the present. I truly believe yeah. that. Um, you know, so, but something's changed, man. It's not, it is not the same as it was when it first started. And so I want us to kind of track the evolution of that. But before we get into that, Um, I want to say, you know, personally, this is not us preaching, coming from a pulpit. This is us standing in the crowd, kind of looking around, and seeing what's going on. Both Jake and I, and you know, you can speak to it yourself, but are fans of all hip hop. You know, um, I make no bones about the fact that some of my favorite music of all time is that 90s death row music, um, which was steeped in violence. Um, Ice-T was one of my favorites. There are a lot of artists I listen to that have a lot of violent music. So I'm not casting judgment, but at the same time, sometimes we do need to look in the mirror and ask ourselves questions. And that's what I I intend to do today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even, even this platform, the what's the headline podcast, you know, we've had folks like corrupt and MCA and AZ from the firm on here, interviews that I hold near and dear to my heart, that I'm proud that, that we've had on this platform. And over the years of, of just, you know, my nine years working with you at Ambrosia, you know, I've traveled to New York to interview Spice One. Like, you know, we've we've had a host of people um on the show. And I'm a I'm a fan of quote unquote gangster rap. I'm a fan of reality rap. I'm a fan of horrorcore. Um, you know, I love all the different, you know, same as you. I'm mean, no one does it anymore, but when you used to walk into a video store, a blockbuster, whatever, I like all those sections and I I see them, but it's interesting with time and with wisdom. And you look at what some of this music means and that's exactly what we're going to get into and why um, perhaps we need to treat it differently or contextualize it differently, especially when we're losing people in real life, you know, take off case in point.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So. You know, I think there's a lot of excuses that are made when it comes to rap music. You know, people talk about, well, it's just music. It's just entertainment. It's not to the health hell of the same standard as film and TV or video games. It's the environment. It's, you know, it's what the radio wants. Like, you know, there are all these things. I want us to go through all those things and really kind of examine each one kind of point by point. Mm-hmm. Starting with... um you know, the the notion that it's just music, right? And it doesn't, it doesn't like really like impact people. You know, I call BS on that one. You know, we've seen for years now, uh, going all the way back to Run DMC with my Adidas and so forth, that brands are in music intentionally. You know, they are there because people believe that what rappers say, do, how they dress, what they rap about influences people. You know, uh, but what what do you think about that?
1: One hundred percent. I mean, and you can look at that from you know I think it was nineteen eighty six with it, my Adidas on down. Um, you know, you look at a company like Reebok. You know, doing the S dot Carters with Jay Z and doing shoes with Fifty Cent. But even even in just kind of preparing for this conversation, um, I looked at a song that has never been my favorite it was a hit record. You know, past the Cavassier" by Busta Rhymes, and that liquor brand not before the song. But once they evaluated the impact, um struck a deal with violator management, you know, rest in peace to somebody I believe both you and I knew Chris Lighty. like the fact that brands are willing to come to the table um, with artists says a lot. and and, you know, it looks no further than 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 champagne and hip hop. The minute that Jay- Z and a host of other artists say that Crystal doesn't value us as a culture or doesn't value black culture um we pull out of it and we reinvest you know or 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 black folks hip-hop folks reinvest into ace of spades or effing or whatever follow the dollars it's real it's there it's proven and we see that time and time again and you know if you watch an hour of television right now i i highly doubt if you're watching it on most networks you're not going to see the merger of commerce and hip-hop culture
0: yeah you know um Ice Cube said on um Steady Mobbin, don't drink eight ball because St. Ives is giving ends, you know. So um, yeah, so you know, back in the day people were promoting um eight ball, um old English eight hundred uh malt liquor. And St. Ives started doing brand deals with hip hop artists. And so Ice Cube put it in the music. And to your point about Pastor Couvasier, think about the rebrand. Now, when Diddy performs that song, it's passed a Ciroc this way, yeah, you know, because he is a Ciroc ambassador and has a healthy stake in that business. So, okay, we you know, I think it's pretty uh, indisputable that brands at least believe that it has impact. And you look at you know people trying to buy Birkin bags and all the stuff that's talked about, I think that's pretty clear. Do we have a reason to think that it stops with just consumer goods, like people just hear the consumer goods and that's the only thing, you know, uh, that influences in the music? I don't think so. You know, when you think about slang, um, it often is spread through the music. When you think about fashion, it spreads through the music. What about violence? Do you think violence is something that also uh, people at least become desensitized to, um if, if nothing else
1: 100 i mean again i'll use jay as an example like when when kingdom come came out and jay said you know it wasn't about you know oversized jerseys anymore or rims that spin on a car like he's calling it into action that it's passe and whether you think jay has that power or not i i had you know neither of those things but i looked at folks i noticed that that had an effect on culture and just this week in the wake of this tragedy, I've thought about it. And, you know, I, I grew up in a household where, you know, my father a- had guns and, and taught me how to use pistols and things like that. I learned what a Heckler and Koch was through rap music. I learned what a Mac-10 was through lyrics. So, you know, violence and, and gun brands is just as potent as liquor brands or, um, you know, the the type of a, of a watch, you know, a Frank Mueller or, a, you know, um automo- you know any of them like absolutely it it permeates far beyond those things that we're talking about that somebody can advertise on television you agree with me
0: i agree 100% you know and and um i heard something that really um kind of resonated with me this week and i hadn't thought about it this way before but trick trick you know was on sway in the morning on tuesday talking about it. he works with us in detroit and really trying to um, end or at least uh, minimize some of the gun violence there. And he talked about music being a spell, like you know, rapping, singing it's a spell. It's an incantation. it's it's repeating something again and again. Um, and if you do that, especially to music, which you absorb, it's a frequency is something that like makes your body move, um, actually influences your emotions. it penetrates in a different way. And so, I think that at a minimum, um people just become immune to it. And I'll talk I'll talk about that a little later as we get into one of these examples. Cause I have a very specific instance of when I remember, oh man, this is like it's changed me in terms of like numb me to something that I found to be really revolting uh, in the beginning. So
1: um I think I if, oh if I can though, like yeah, I a hundred percent agree with that. And and shout out to Trick Trick. He was somebody that I used to speak to on a fairly regular basis, you know, about 10, 12 years ago. And I worked with troubled youth for a year and change of my life in Philadelphia. Um, I was a youth advocate and did that in addition to my career in journalism. And one of the things I noticed, I had to spend a lot of time in the car with, you know, as many as six young men between the ages of eight and 18, were with me some of which for violent offenses a lot of drug offenses um other different things and the reason they were with me is the juvenile detention you know system in Philadelphia was so crowded that if you were a first or second time offender they might send you with somebody that was doing what I was doing to report to the judge and hopefully convince them that it wouldn't happen again um and one of the things I mean this was 2007 um 2008 so we're talking about the Little Wayne era. We're talking about, you know, Jeezy was reigning supreme, um, Gucci Mane, like, and, you know, I didn't, my guys knew roughly what I did for a living because they were always shocked with the kind of music that I would play in the car. But what amazed me is their behavior would change so much based on the music. And if, if guys were not, you know, um, showing each other respect or showing me respect, one of the things I would do is put on oldies. I would put on, you know, like Motown and and Stax and, you know, whatever the oldie station was in Philly. And what I noticed was, and I I talk about this, I don't know if I've ever spoken about it here. They treated each other with such, you know, more respect than when they were listening to USDA, you know, or Jeezy or Wayne at that time. And there's something to be said for that. And if you transport me back or, or maybe you back to 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, you know, if I'm listening to Tupac versus if I'm listening to, you know, Smokey Robinson, m- my whole face and disposition might change. I don't, I don't know. I mean, so I, I say all that to say I agree with where Trick Trick is coming from.
0: Absolutely, a hundred percent, man. And you think about and we'll get into this, you think about how much more prevalent certain themes are in the music now, you know, from misogyny to you know, violence, uh generally, but particularly gun violence to drug use, like just hearing that repeated over and over again normalizes that behavior, and um, you know. So, you talked about going back and playing the the oldies. Let, let, let's let's go back, man, in time, and like really start to look at the evolution of this. You know. So, for purposes of this, let's think about recorded rap music. You know, we know that hip hop is coming up on its fiftieth anniversary, but recorded rap music really started to like gain some steam in 78 with the release of Rapper's Delight. Um, And it was in the 80s that it started to become more regular and not just kind of novel to people. Um, That's when um, I was coming of age and really growing up a fan. And so you had artists like Run DMC, the Fat Boys, Houdini, LL, Cool J, Big Daddy Kane, Rakim, Curtis Blow, Melly Mel, people like that. And if you go back and listen to their music, man, first of all, there's very little cursing at all. Like when I started my son's um, listening to music, uh, rap music, I started there because I wanted to be able to play stuff that, you know, was, uh, didn't have a principal advisory sticker, wasn't a bunch of bleeps and really had different kinds of themes about it. The themes were completely different. There was little to no violence, you know, uh, or misogyny. Um, and it wasn't that they were doing this to get radio play because it really wasn't much radio play back then you know aside from like mixed shows late at night in major metropolitan areas and like college stations you know this was just a conscious decision that this is the way music was supposed to be you weren't supposed to be like super raunchy or ratchet in it it was just you communicating using using your words you know but um did you like how much did you dip into that era of music?
1: After the fact. I mean, it's funny because I'm on the opposite end. Like I started becoming a serious rap consumer in the mid 90s. And, you know, I mean, I I remember the, you know, Sir Mix-A-Lot, Baby Got Back and, you know, some of those kind of post Vanilla Ice Hammer, you know, but like those one hit wonders, you know, US3 or us, you know, like that stuff that was permeating mainstream culture. But when I started buying, you know, rap CDs, one of the first five CDs I bought was Dog Food by the Dog Pound. And you know, over time, as I started building a music collection, I would shop out of the the, the five dollar bin. You know, the used records at at Record Rama on McKnight Road in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And a lot of that stuff was, you know, your Spice Ones, your Ice Tees, your Brother Lynch Hungs, your like as as pulp as pulp can get you know as 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 between horror and gangster rap so i had the opposite experience and then when i went back and started listening to run dmc and eric b and rock kim and you know even like Ultramatic mcs and houdini it was kind of like a breath of fresh air because i'm like yo if my mom walks in the room um there's not going to be any you know curses in this
0: did you uh, did you notice it like was it something noteworthy for you like when when you heard it
1: those stickers were everything. I mean, in my generation, I remember they were they would vary in size. You know, some albums had the little ones, and then you'd have your Paris's or your ice teas, and it always felt like the sticker was even bigger. And then, you know, by the time Machiavelli came out and was on his midsection, like, forget about it. But yeah, I mean, I definitely, it's sort of like, you know, when you're an adolescent, I don't know about you, but you learn, like, what movies have nudity in them. You learn where the swear, you know, where the curse words were, um and then like over time just like thinking like a dj you know like if i dare i play a song in class or at a school dance like where what can i play What you know i look at a record like the humpty dance one of my favorite of all times even though it's about sex i don't think there's a swear word in the whole song you know um just just case in point but i i say all that to say i definitely was aware
0: yeah so you know it changed um in the late 80s that's when like uh, it started to get real, you know? And interestingly, uh, I'll tell you a couple of ones that like stuck out to me. So first of all, was BDP Boogie Down Productions. You know, KRS-One, Scott Rock, Miss Melody. the um, Nice. Be yeah. Nice. Interesting thing is that people would never like, I don't think most people would ever classify BDP as like gangster rap, but their first album Uh, criminal-minded, you know, had some very, very gangster themes in it. You know, Nine Millimeter go Bang is really about, like, um, you know, settling disputes and when anyone, you know, makes you angry with a nine, right? Um, You know, and telling them, like, almost like Samuel Jackson Pulp Fiction style, like, uh, this is your consequence, not wah-da-da-dang, wah-da-da-da-dang, you know, listen to my Nine Millimeter go Bang. So, and there, there were other songs, the song Criminal Minded, too. Like, um, that was the first one where I remember hearing distinctly, you know, a, a fair amount of gun violence, you know. Um, you know, School D also, um, you know, had uh, PSK. And, uh, but that one only had like, that was, that was a little bit before BDP. Mm-hmm. But that one only had like a little bit, um, you know. So, you know, I think that like that is when I started to really like, you know, peep the evolution there. But the thing that changed for me, I remember I went to France back in 1988. I was gone for three weeks and I came back and it was like the whole world had changed. When I left, uh, people listened listen to like um, Rob Bass and EPMD and stuff like that. When I came back, I asked my guy Marcus. I was like, "Yo, what's the what's the new what's the new thing?" He's like, "Yo, man, everybody listening to Easy E and NWA." And I was like, "Easy E, and what, what is that like NWA?" And I picked up the album, and dude, like, my whole mind was blown. Hmm. To your point about your mom and being able to play stuff when she came to the room, I had to actually turn mine down because I'm like, "Yo, there's no way my mom can hear me listen to this. What is going on?" But it was like literally like like an overnight thing with NWA because it was just so, so much more graphic and violent and misogynistic and all of those things.
1: That's great. I mean, did you think the fact that like you kind of had to be in the know to acquire it, like you had to know which record stores might have it and are they going to sell it to you, you know, as a teenager, like do you think that added to the mystique or was it just strictly the content?
0: You know, I, I do think that, I do think that, um, especially for young teenage boys at the time, like that was a huge part of the allure, you know, just having that parental parental advisory sticker was like a badge of honor, you know, it's like sneaking into your point about nudity, sneaking into your first rated R movies and all that stuff, you know, like everybody at that time wants to be older and mm-hmm. that behavior I think is, is seen with like, if not maturity, at least a level of like, um, you know, toughness.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can... I can totally relate to that, even though it was obviously like, you know, much more widespread, you know, a few years after you when I was of the same age and it was just everywhere and people would talk about it. I even remember, you know, the first three outcast albums, you know, had a naked lady on the CD and, you know, I'm of the era when you put CDs in those books and took the book with you everywhere and you'd be flipping through and be like, Oh, and you know, it would be Southern Playlistic or ATL and, even that, like the way you could grab, I think just my first year's record buying um, Ice-T's Home Invasion album, which is 93, or, or, you know, what's the public enemy where the kid's listening and everyone's, you know, surrounded, or they got the 40 ounce and the gun, like, you know, artwork, everything was, the word I use is pulp, you know, it's like, even if it's not fiction, it's like, let me you know, let me take this thing and and push it over the top because that's always gonna win. You know.
0: Yeah, you know, and so you know, going back to BDP, the thing is, like, it was jarring because there wasn't a lesson or consequence in the song. You know what I mean? That there was there was some violence in other music. Like Ice T came out with Ron Page a few months later. And he had six in the morning and squeeze the t- trigger, but those songs were really about commentary about violence in the media. Yeah. And there was consequence and like, you know, self-questioning and all that stuff. Nine millimeter goes bang. You read through the lyrics, there's there's none of that. And you know, the craziest thing is that that was the first piece of music that I can remember that spoke to me like that or mm. expressed itself that way. And, you know, that came out in March of 87. And then just in August, a few months later, Scott Rock, you know, DJ for um, Boogie Down Productions was killed. And to my knowledge is the first um, homicide or death by gun violence that we had in rap music. You know, Um, it didn't have anything to do with the music per se. You know, uh, it was, you know, ironically a dispute about... um, Woman, right. A woman, yeah, that that was interested in D nice, um, or vice versa. And Scott got caught in the crossfire. Um well not crossfire because D wasn't firing, but someone was shooting at them, yeah. It Scott LaRock instead of D nice. So um yeah. It's
1: it's wild to hear you say that too, because you know, I I look in, in ninety-six, which was a real like, you know, watershed moment and just in my you know truly my calling with what I've done with my life and and my love um, and my embracing of of rap music and hip hop culture, you know, Hit em Up came out. And I remember being 12 years old in 96 and thinking this is the wildest shit in the world. And, you know, we'll talk about it later, but that song to me, long before I'm, I'm 38 now, but well into my, I would say upper teens, if not early 20s. Um, is a song that I find practically unlistenable. And at the time, you know, you're thinking, oh, my God, this is this is incredible, the way he's getting at people. And then just like your example with Scott LaRock, like not a year later, Tupac's gone, you know, yeah. and, and six months after that, Biggie's gone. And now, boom, here we are, 2022 and Prodigy's, like the list keeps going. And, and those songs become really, really difficult. And I just looked today to bring it full circle, this blows my mind. I didn't know this until we were preparing for this discussion. Do you know what the most streamed song on Spotify by BDP is? Uh no. Nine millimeter ghost no, sure. thing. Not even not even Bridges Over. That's not even South serious. Bronx. I'm You're crazy. serious? I'm crazy. Yeah.
0: That that's that's insane because that was an album cut. That's not like that wasn't like a big radio record or a club record or anything. That's 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 crazy. That's yep. really, really uh, insane. Like, yep. for all of BDP, not even my philosophy or... I I'm just looked again
1: about- right now to make sure I'm not talking shit. Dude. And and there's not a video to that. Like, you're absolutely right. Like, it's crazy because I agree with you. Even though there was guns on the, you know, some of the artwork and, you know, KRS-One, you know, PMD. Da- like, you know, BDP is an aggressive group, but I would file them more if you made me choose more conscious than gangster. And yet, you know, yeah.
0: That's something very, very suspect about that. You know what I mean? It's is is weird. Um, you know, but anyway, at this at this point in time, those songs are still the exception. Right? They're not they're not the norm. Uh still relatively minimal cursing and violence. Um, you know, it's just not it's not nearly what it is today. Um, you know, eighty seven though, you know. Things were changing clearly. You know, uh, the crack epidemic was in full swing at that point. Um, And there's an argument that people were starting to document it more than music because it was more prevalent in their surroundings. Um, And that's certainly the case for straight out of Compton. Like, so you heard that later on in life. Um, Did it have the same kind of impact? Did it feel different to you when you heard it than, than stuff you've been listening to, or had you already been? Kind of adjusted to like the level of violence and you know anger.
1: Yeah, I mean you know at this point I'm I'm reading the Source magazine every month and and when I hear it, the first N.W.A. ever had was the greatest hits, which is still you know with the black and white shots of of all the members and you look at Straight Outta Compton or gangster Gangster and somehow it just felt different than what I'd heard before or you know fuck the police. um Those records seemed like it was a lot of sensation but a lot of substance behind it too. Um, and at that point, I couldn't tell you, I, I would have heard Six in the Morning by Ice T, but I wouldn't have heard PSK by Schooly D, you know, like just in my, you know, iteration, or not my iteration, by my, my introduction to all of this music. And, and yeah, I mean, NWA and, and knowing that it was Dr. Dre and Ice Cube and these other figures that I knew really well, um, just musically, it it blew my mind. But I also, that was 100% music that I didn't want to play loud enough for my mom to hear it in the next room. Mm-hmm. um just the language just the intensity just the aggression um but over time like you know here i am 10 years later not even 10 years later you know six seven eight years later learning you know toddy bataram like okay what is a Batteram? okay this was this thing that was going around la why was it going around la you know what do these different things mean and it all of a sudden becomes a contextual language and i'm really curious you know you mentioned the crack epidemic and you mentioned 87 um you know, I was very young when that happened and I wasn't in the face of it. And I'm not implying that you were, but do you, how strong do you think that correlation was between what was going on nationwide and the turn the music starts to take?
0: Well, so Chuck D, you know, back in the day, used to say that rap music was a CNN of the streets and clearly Public Enemy was that, but NWA was that too. You know, um, as I listened to their music back then, it wasn't gangsterism for just gangsterism's sake, at least not straight out of Compton. Um, you know, after the police obviously had a very clear message. This is what people were ex- experiencing. And that's what we saw, like, you know, depicted in the film. And, on, and, you know, a couple of years later on videotape with Rodney King and, you know, fast forward 20 years later, 30 years later, it's still seeing the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. So clearly uh, that was something that they were experiencing. Uh, but even songs like Gangsta Gangster had a level of self-awareness. You know, Ice Cube says uh, to all kids looking up to me, um, he says, um, here I am drinking straight out the eight bottle. There's that, you know, OE again. Do I look like a a role model to all kids looking up to me? Life ain't nothing but, you know, so... um, even he's saying, listen, like, I rap, but I'm not a role model. And um, no one mistook him as such at that point. And, and if you did, he told you, <laughs> don't do that. Um, but yeah, I, th- I I do think that, um, you know, the crack epidemic and the increased gang violence at the time um, in places like New York and L.A., that was something that influenced. It wasn't around me as much. You know, it was in my, my city and my neighborhood a little bit. But I lived in a smallish town in Indiana. So, you know, one or two murders per year was was that was like headline news. It was nothing like what you're gonna get in a big city.
1: Yeah. And I often wonder, you know, you look at a one of, and you and I both said it's two of our, it's one of our favorite records mutually, but the message by Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five, and like that is reporting what's going on, you know, from the first lines like broken glass everywhere. Like that song is is a, is a news report of the surroundings. And I think over time, you know, you chisel away at the PG and the PG 13. Um, and, you know, there's things in the message that are very much PG 13 or R as you get deeper into that song, um, you know, but I feel like everything intensifies and I look at NWA and I look at Eazy E and I think they are great examples um, because 87, 88, they, you know, become poster children, poster childs of kind of this thing of like, we're going to say what you don't want us to say. We're on an independent label. We, you know, do not give a damn and we're going to take it to the next level. And I think of, you know, one of, I read Jerry Heller's book a few times and, you know, he always likened Eazy-E to P.T. Barnum. And there's many things that I think Jerry Heller was out of touch with in his book and otherwise. But I like that. I think Easy e knew how to build a character. I think he built, you know, several of them in his own group and in the years that followed with Ruthless. And I think that NWA was able to take kernels of truth and then intensify them the same way that, you know, um, I was thinking about it today for some reason as I was driving around Philly, but like, you look at a movie like Death Wish and Charles Bronson and like this idea of people standing up to you know, vigilantes in the streets with crime, and you take that over the top. And I think that to some degree, certainly by the, the second album, which we'll talk about, but NWA started to give you that. And even if you were like you or me and not anywhere around it, that kernel of truth or that understanding that these things are happening was crazy because those albums also had things that you weren't ready for. I think of the first time I heard Dope Man in the first, you know, verse of the song, um, you know, he, he's selling dope for a favor, um, you know, a sexual favor. And that was so crazy to me because that broke the morality that I thought existed of like, okay, two people that do something, they're in love or lust. This is like, no, somebody has an addiction and they're willing to do anything for it. That's crazy. That breaks the rules, but guess what? NWA put it on wax, but that goes on in the street every single day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So they were they they were some of the first to step up and put stuff that had never been heard before on a um, on a recording that was heard by more people, but again, at least for some of the stuff that they put out, there was a reason, there was an intention behind it, whether it be a cautionary tale or like a, a window into the world. But there was a turn in '89 when the Ghetto Boys uh, released their album Grip It on that other level and that was back when they had the H and the, the extra T in there before there was G E T O boys. Yeah. There was a song called Mind of a Lunatic on that album. Have you heard it?
1: I have. I think I own the album still, you know.
0: That album, man, that song was completely depraved. Like I had never heard anything like it before. And even when I go back and listen to it now, it is like it's, it's well beyond the pale of what you would typically here you know um it starts off with the sight of blood excites me uh, shoot you in the head sit down and watch you bleed to death and then then it starts to get bad uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i mean dude it, it talks about rape and necrophilia um it is like one of the most disturbing songs i've ever heard um you know um and it's it's a it's you know a, a really insane and unfortunate coincidence one of the lyrics refers to november 1st um which is willie d of the ghetto boys birthday and unfortunately that's the day that takeoff was killed um you know in houston no less um Mm. you know and uh with there being some um some under uh some 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 suggestion that there's there was some you know issues going on between some uh, related parties but so yeah, man, um, that was when like for me it was like okay, cool. This is a not cool, but this is a whole different level of glorif- glorification and gratuitous violence and rap. And it's it's a new day. That that uh, that's what that gave. Me. It
1: is, and it's funny, you know. History affords context, and you know, I'm not condoning. That's a song, you know. Much like Hit 'Em Up, I love the Ghetto Boys. I'm sure I've said that on said this on said that on this podcast. But that's not a song I I go back to. Um, And, you know, that same year, Willie D put out another song called Put the F and Gun Away, 1989 on his Controversy album. And it just goes to show you the disjointed and do one thing. Why are you doing it? Why are you saying it? And and perhaps the disillusion of shock value. It doesn't condone it, but like people kept pushing the envelope further and further and further. And the Ghetto Boys throughout their existence have always done that. Um, as has nwa and it's it's crazy but but you know history says by that point in the late 80s moving into the 90s um all bets are off and, and one aside too is i'm not um i'm not the biggest metal fan but funny enough like in college i had some friends that were heavy into metal and i used to play the ghetto boys in my you know in the car and they love that shit and they would compare it to slayer and other people rick rubin worked with both of these acts And there was, you know, this level of violence and craziness in other places, but somehow it just feels different um, in rap music. Because you look at the Ghetto Boys, and even though they're exaggerations, the fact that Willie D puts his own birthday in the song shows you that there's a level of, like, I am the main character here, even if it's an exaggeration. And that's troubling when you're talking about some of those things that exist in those lyrics.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's when, like... um you know, the game changed, I think. And um, two years later, NWA resurfaces, this time without Ice Cube, who some uh, might say was kind of like their political moral center. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, and also maybe they had something to prove without Ice Cube. And to your point about Eazy-E being a circus master, they definitely took it up like 10 notches with Phil uh, which is obviously even the title, is, yes. is 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 um risque to say the least. If said you know the the way that it is you know that it is written uh, backwards. But that album man was conflicted. It did have some songs on it that had some more political context, like Real Ends, um, um, and then Appetite for Destruction was very similar to some of Ice T's work of like self commentary about people and why we gravitate toward destruction and nihilism like that. But there were other songs, in interludes, man, like To Kill a Hooker and Find them, F him and Flee. And she swallowed it that were and still are some of the like, 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 dude, like literally I felt nauseous in the first few times I heard those songs, like really super disturbed. Mm. And like um, you're seeing images that you're not supposed to see and that you can't take back. Like yeah. that was the way that I felt when I first heard that album, but over time, and this is what I was talking about earlier after hearing it repeatedly, it started to normalize and clearly like I find those lyrics objectionable and certainly wouldn't play it in front of my mom, which I think is the test that we all should have <laughs> Wouldn't play it for yeah. my kids, you know? And I think, you know, I think the best test is would you in a, a business meeting recite these words without a beat, Uh, to, like, a person you were trying to do business with that you just met a time or two. Like, I think that then starts to, like, kick into effect, like, how heinous some of the the content is, you know what I mean? When you really take away the music and the stuff that disguises it, Um, you know, and that's the way that album was. It it took me to a, a different place.
1: Yeah, I have I have that relationship with that album because I also it's a weird thing. You and I have spoken about it on episodes. We've talked about Dr. Dre, like in many ways, that album represents his pivot towards G-Funk. Arguably it's one of his best, you know, produced albums up there with the chronic and doggy style. But it's a hard album to listen to for those reasons. And yet I have listened to it and you know, I will listen to it, but it's not one like if I'm playing it today. I'll put the windows up and and it 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 feels weird, you know. Um, yeah, it's just uh it's 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 funny how how that how that goes.
0: Yeah, and you had a good point about uh what separated this album commercially too.
1: It goes to number one. I mean, that's the wildest thing is like NWA was straight out of Compton, as I understand it. Again, I can't claim like I lived through it real time, but that was an album that had a slow, momentous build. And easy puts out his solo debut in eighty-eight. You know, these guys do all these amazing things. They do a few tour dates with Guns N' Roses. They become what we now see them to be. But by 91, even though Cube had left, they go to number one. And if you look at the year 91, there were not rap albums going to number one, especially independent ones. I mean, they were on ruthless priority. And that's crazy. So, you know, that shows you a few things, you know, like this album, I can't say that it's selling more copies than all the others, but they picked a week. Where Billboard and the likes had to dedicate their attention and say, what is selling in the United States of America? And then you have to look and say, well, who's buying it? You know, um, you know, people are buying it and, and, and on one hand saying, is this a representation of ourselves? And then you have other folks that are outsiders to the culture, outsiders to the Black community that are buying it and perhaps normalizing it. Perhaps saying, oh, is this what's really going on in Compton? Is this what's going on in L.A. and New York and otherwise? And that's where you have major problems.
0: So here's the interesting thing about the, the sales. So um it debuted, I believe, at number two. It's either number two or debuted at number one. I think it was number two, but mm-hmm. you know, somebody can like, you know, check that and eventually hit number one. Um, but the reason why that happened is because the music industry had recently switched from using album shipments and reporting from record stores about what was moving to actually having sound scan. That was a, a system where, you know, people would scan the CD and, and every time something was sold, so you knew accurately, although people were padding out too by multiple scans and stuff. Yeah. Like that. But in theory, you have more accurate sense of what was selling. And so the whole paradigm flipped. It used to be that an album would start in like the, the teens or the 20s or whatever and move its way up the chart slowly, but surely over like, you know, several weeks, if not several months as singles were released to what we have now where uh usually the peak is the, the first week or two and then it descends. Um so what that did was it changed the trajectory of albums but also changed what was what we knew to be selling and popular. Mm-hmm. I would say that's probably when when um gangster rap was on the map as a commercial force and executives really started to like uh, dial into it, you know. So that it, it was So it was meaningful on a lot of levels, uh, but yeah, it took the glamorization and commercialization of violence and, you know, all these other things and wrapped to a whole different level.
1: Absolutely. And then next year, I mean, you know, right out of that camp into The Chronic and The Chronic is built around controversy, you know, with Dre leaving Ruthless and then between 91 and December of 92, we're coming up on the 20th for The Chronic, you have the LA riots, you have Rodney King, you know, you have... Kind of that same element that we're talking about with Straight Outta Compton, where, you know, you have that song the day the, you know, folks took over, um, which is emblematic to, you know, the, what was going on in in South Central following the, you know, acquittal verdicts. It was acquittal or non-guilty.
0: Uh, it was not guilty. Not guilty. So, an acquittal is not guilty. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um. You know. So, like, on one hand, the chronic in, in history, you know, talks about this. It's remembered as this time capsule for that. But there's other spots on the chronic that you know <laughs> are extremely violent. You know, you've got Snoop Dogg as a guy coming into the game that is literally waging death on lyrical opponents. You know, I.E. You know, Luke, Tim Dog, E.Z.E. You know, Dre's doing it. It's really intense stuff. And I love that album. I consider it a classic. You and I spent a podcast earlier this year putting it among our best albums ever. And yet that album is is rife with violent content.
0: Absolutely. And again, Dre's breaking barriers. We did a whole podcast on this. So with Phil for zagging, he's breaking barriers with sales. And with this, he's he's broken down the walls on radio. You're hearing the chronic singles on mainstream radio, top 40 radio, like it's Motown. Like that, that was mind blowing back at the time. Like that was never happening before that, you know? And so now we're in 1992 and you're hearing songs like bees ain't shit, you know, just six years after uh, there was no cursing really in hip hop. Like, you know, Run DMC and, you know, Eric B and Rock Kemp and all these guys. There was no cursing in hip hop, even like mostly in 1987. So in a five year span, we've gone from Fat Boys and Curtis Blow to the stuff that you're hearing on NWA's albums and Ghetto Boys and stuff like that. That is a huge shift, um, you know, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. And I think of what the music videos did as well. I mean, I forget which video was it Dre day where Dre has the laser pointer, you know, to imply like I got a gun on, you, you know, yeah. and I remember watching MTV, you know, from all of that um, just videos got more and more menacing where you have, you have a culture of aggression and violence, you know, I mean, even the straight out of Compton video, like you can feel the tension in the song and the video. But I can remember watching, you know, MTV and BET in, in 93, 94 regulate, you know, another record that, that I think fits into that this bill with Warren G and Nate Dogg that, you know, there's elements of revenge and violence and death that are in there. You know, I mean, you and I just recently acknowledged the passing of Coolio. And although it's it's arguably, you know, a teaching tool, Gangsta's Paradise talks about, you know, the the the, the futility of life. And, and you know, am I gonna live to see another day? All of these things um, that becomes more and more the message of what, you know, rap music is that gets out to the mainstream. And that's, you know, that's, that's problematic.
0: So now we've got like violence pretty rampant in music, but for the most part, it's contained to the music, right? Um, you know, these guys are talking about things that they're seeing, but they themselves are not being accused of gun violence. You know, Dr. Dre had been accused of violence uh, against Dee Barnes, I think, by now. Yeah. Um, and there are things like that, but there is not uh, accusations of rappers murdering people. Um, you know, Scott Rock was killed, uh, but seemingly from a completely unrelated, you know, incident from his music. Um, but in 1993, that changed. You want to talk about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, the name that is etched in my mind forever is, you know, Philip Alder Merriam. You know, Snoop Dogg and some of his cohorts are riding around, I believe, Long Beach in a Jeep Grand Cherokee, and somebody approaches the vehicle, reportedly or allegedly brandishes a gun, exits the vehicle, and that man, he was very young. If he, you know, I, I think he was in his teens when the melee ends, he's dead. And that puts Snoop on trial for three years, you know? And you know the biggest rap star, certainly the the newest rap superstar coming off of the chronic, um, Doggy Style hadn't even released yet um, when the incident happened is is in question his future and that's that's bad that's terrible but it also I believe becomes part of his marketing campaign I mean Doggy Style has a song murder was the case and you know I look at that song a lot I wrote a paper about it in college. Um, you know, that song is like Mephistopheles, it's a deal with the devil, is what the song is. But the title and can I get through this bad thing that is art imitating life and life imitating art. And not for nothing, a year later, while the trial, you know, is still pending, Snoop puts out, you know, a soundtrack and a mini movie with Dr. Dre, with Death Row, Murder Was the Case, and it goes to number one. Doggy Style is number one, Murder Was the Case is number one. And, and that's, That's really crazy. I mean, you and I reported on it last year, but, you know, 50 Cent is executive producing a a series that's looking at that whole incident, that whole album and its tie in. Here we are, you know, almost 30 years later, and that is still super resonant. And I know there were other figures, you know, I think of Slick Rick and, and that altercation going behind bars. There were other instances of artists having serious issues with the law. But I do believe in my mind that that Snoop Dogg in 93 uh, shifts the paradigm. And for nothing else, too, when Snoop is ultimately acquitted in 96, um, his career and his message, by and large, was never the same again. You know, he went from, you know, a reckless, you know, young guy saying all these things to somebody who I always believe, even though he's had his moments, had a lot more caution and a lot more value for life.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't disagree with you in terms of it raising its profile and likely being an intentional part of the marketing campaign. You know, um, again, records were broken with with the release of Doggy Style. You know, that album, if memory serves me correctly, did over 700,000 units in the first week, which I think was the biggest of the year. And I believe it was the biggest tally ever at that point for debut artists. Um, you know, it was a massive massive number and I don't think that happens without Snoop being in the headlines constantly for um you know potentially murdering someone and being on trial for that so yeah man um and you know so now man this now the the door has been kicked down completely and the floodgates are open and instead of this being the exception it starts to become the rule for music and we go to even darker places um, where people like, so Mind of a Lunatic, you know, the song from the Ghetto Boys was disturbing and intentionally meant to be about someone demented and go as dark as possible. An entire genre of that music emerged in 1995 in horrorcore. I was never a fan, you know, Gravediggers, um, which was you know, anchored by uh, the Reza was very popular at the time. I I don't know that I ever bought any like horrorcore uh, music maybe with the exception of cool G rap if you classify him that way. But, you know, talk to me about horrorcore and your experiences. because it sounds like you had more more um
1: yeah, such. I mean, those were the records that I could afford and I, I took interest with it because it coincided, you know, I was like, you know, that was my era of consumption and, you know, shout out to Prince Paul and the Rizza and, you know, Poetic and Fruquan with Gravediggers. But yeah, I mean, you have that, you have the Flatliners, you have um, Brother Lynch Hung, you have artists out of the Bay like CeeLo and, and Killate out of Fresno and X-Rated and and all of these guys that are making music i mean koji rap and, and dj polo even before they split are a great example that make really um kind of shock and awe shock value music and you know i i can remember you know it, it's it's not it's it is violent but i can remember listening to to records like talk like sex and Fu man by g rap and being just like blown away or um what's the one you and i always talk about well there's two to the head and there's um train robbery like a like,
0: train robbery is just yeah he raped someone on the train
1: yeah it's 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 crazy but i remember just being like how does this exist and you know i can't say i loved it but i listened to it i listened to it a lot and and luckily i you know had the lens to know that okay this is this is this is fiction this is you know i don't don't take the word the wrong way but like fantasy or whatever um and you kind of move on from it but that stuff was winning, um, you know, and just the imagery of, of, of knives and guns and, you know, all of that. And it just it kind of raises that same question I mentioned with N.W.A.'s second album is like, who's buying into this? And I say this, you know, again, as, as me, um, as somebody coming into it. But do you take this as reality? Do you take this as a reflection? Um, and then the interesting thing is around the same time. And not just here, but you start to see it elevated a little bit. There's kind of a counter movement of artists that are maybe taking the same um, vivid action and, and using that to kind of pump the brakes a little bit, you know. And, and you know, one of the examples you and I had talked about just kind of preparing, preparing for this conversation is a record like Stray Bullet by Organized Confusion in 94, which, you know, I look at is as a little bit more artistic. A joint like that follows a bullet and traces all the carnage and damage it does. Um, you know, and, and Ferromanch and Prince Poetry like still have the ability to be just as lyrical as D-Rap, you know, who's a contemporary of theirs. But there's a message in the song of like, without being preachy of like, yo, this is what happens with a bullet. And you start to see that, you know, more and more and more, you have, you know, Large professor producing Illmatic, um, which I wouldn't call like in a in a gun violence way the, the the same, but you there's an element of you know grabbing foreigners, ripping up their green cards, all of that, and G or and, and large pro made you know peace is not the word to play with main source of about people that say peace to one another and turn around and kill each other. Like there starts to be kind of a counter movement that I think gets as much attention as horror Court. Would you disagree?
0: No, I I fully agree, and I want us to talk about that in in depth, you know. But I I want, but what I, the point I want to make though right now is that by ninety four ninety five, violence in rap music is not only normal, yes, it's it's, it's prevalent, and it is becoming the uh, the biggest aspect of the genre. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it went from being. Non-existent to like very very tiny to becoming the dominant theme in the music for um, a lot of the commercially successful music for sure. And to your point, there is the the organized confusion and, and like there's an entire underground that's splitting off with you know uh, and you know De La Soul is still around and there's an entire like um, genre or, or or branch of hip hop that is not part of that but it's not commercial. It's right. not nearly as commercial as the stuff that 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 we're, we've been talking about, you know? And so, you know, that's, so it's now the norm. But, and so for a period of years, you know, I would say it's kind of more of the same, more intensity, uh, more frequent, but generally speaking, the music is fictional or in, maybe inspired by real life events, but not meant to actually depict like real life that changes with the emergence of drill music. Um, and now we're in like, you know, the, the 2010s and particularly in Chicago, um, we're now seeing that music is being used to tell real stories about real deaths and real violence that's occurring in the streets. And we're now in a, in a whole different level. Um yeah, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I mean,
1: I don't I don't pin it squarely on drill. I think we've gotten to a place where, you know, there's a lot of reality in the music. And I think Chicago is a great example, you know. And I've I I think I've said it here before, but like I, I before he passed, I, I did a little bit of work a few times with King Vaughn, you know, rest in peace. And he is one of the you know 60 artists that we've lost to gun violence. And and King Vaughn is an example of somebody who named names. And spoke about real situations in in his records but just today you know i was playing um use a gangster by dj quick and he kind of does the same thing in a different way where you know he spoke about somebody i think his name was kelly Jamerson, that lost his life at the l ray theater in 95 and a lot of people pointed at quick over that and that was over some some gangbang shit that involved death row and whatnot um and there were other records Uh, you know there's stuff in tupac lyrics there's stuff you know, in the '90s and in the 2000s, on very you know chart-topping or very high-selling records, that speaks to actual street incidents, um, and and those in the know would talk about it and unpack it. You know, Tupac addressing his own assailants, you know, from the Quad shootings, um, you know, on 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 a on a later record. But by the 2010s, you're absolutely right. All of a sudden, people are really implicating themselves on wax. Um, and I just wanted to make that point to clarify.
0: Yeah, and no, I agree. I mean, there, there's exceptions to all this, you know, but, but I'm, I'm talking about shifts where it becomes the paradigm yeah, instead of just like the exception. And yeah. we have now a genre of music where a good portion of it is devoted to not just recounting incidents that happened but like talking about what is going to happen and what people actually did themselves. Yeah. So the artists themselves are copying to, you know, gun violence and murder rather than reporting on things that happened around them. That's the, that's what I see is like a okay. huge shift and the difference that, that we now get into in the 2010s, you know, and, you know, it's, it's, it's like other forms of pop media and culture where things are just ratcheting up. But before we get to that, um, I want to talk about kind of real world next, because anything else you want to say about the music itself?
1: No, I I think that, yeah, I think we we, we covered that. Go ahead.
0: So I I want to talk about the real world, right? Because that's what we've been dancing around. And that's what people always raise is, okay, it's not the music, it's the environment and people reflecting uh, what's going on in the world around them, rather than uh, this being about uh, the music driving the culture, right? So I, I want to start to see if we can get to like, you know, a chicken and an egg type analysis here, which came first. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, among hip-hop artists, um, things absolutely changed. Now, I mentioned that list, there's a list of 60 artists that were killed since 1987, uh, Scott Rock's death. And there were 18 deaths between 1987 and 2003. So 16 years, there've been 18 deaths since 2019. Hmm. So that's 18 in three years. So that that is like a six to one increase. Uh, Yeah, it's it's, it's insane. Uh, It's more than six to one, Um, you know, um, how much more frequent the murders have gotten in the last few years. Like, um, so there's definite parallel there between the music and, um, and the, the proliferation of the violence in the lyrics and the actual um, deaths in hip hop, you know? But, you know, I think we also got to look at the rest of the world too and figure out, okay, is this something that, just aligns with like how life is going in general. And the answer is no, you know, murders were actually the highest in the U.S. in the the early nineties. You know, the peak was in um, 1991, there were 9.7 per hundred thousand people. Um, There was, uh, now it's about six, and there was a spike in 2020 of like 28%, but it was hovering around four or five. For a bunch of years in between that, so murders actually gone down a ton, generally speaking. But despite that fact, like it's still like increasing more and more in the music. So there's a disconnect there. You, you, what do you? What do you? Why do you think that is?
1: I mean, if it bleeds, it bleeds. Like, oh, you mean in terms of of the actual people dying or the way that the content yeah, is?
0: The, the, mm-hmm. the content is still escalating it and, and pushing it out more. Yeah, I mean that's You're right. If it bleeds, it bleeds. So yeah.
1: People will always have that. And I, I think that we're not measuring our words at this point, you know, when I say we, it's just, it's just people, you know, like, look no further. I mean, just even down to semantics of body count, what that meant in 91, versus what that means in 2022, like, the word the verb kill, like, is part of our vernacular in so many other ways. So I think that's going to translate to the music, like how There are so many artists out there. I say it all the time. If I throw a rock down the street, I'm going to hit somebody who raps, like guaranteed. So how are they going to get attention? Because there's not that many people out there that can be really talented and skillful. So shock value is always an easy way. We live in the era of Takashi 6ix9ine. And I think that there will always be violent content, whether we choose to tune in or tune out. That's not going anywhere. Um, The murder rate, of artists, you know, the artists that we're losing, that is a whole other thing. Um, and especially just in the last three, four years, like I look at, you know, social media, because a lot of these that come to my mind, um, and I don't know that this is true of, of takeoff, but are, are often murder robberies, you know, artists with a lot of money and a lot of money on their person are posting locations or people around there own posting locations. And we're living in dire times. Um, and I'm not by any means trying to diagnose it, but that's just my my armchair theory. Do you disagree?
0: No, I, I completely agree. You know, you said it. Um, the more things become normalized, the more someone has to like deviate from the norm in order to get the attention. And, you know, Justin, you know, our AFH partner, um, condolences to him, he just lost his mom, um, coined a term called fire in the stadium. Like literally people have to self uh, emulate in order to get attention. And you mentioned Takashi, and he's like the poster child for it, right? Actually committing crimes and joining gangs and and doing things that he was never part of before in order to like get that fame and attention. And I think that um, the music just has to become more and more outrageous because it just sounds normal. And I think back to that Brutes video, um, what they do, and you know, we just talked about that uh, a couple episodes ago about that being one of the catalysts to the split between um, mainstream rap and underground rap. But the thing that was noteworthy to me about the video, which at the time was like a parody or a satire about music video stereotypes. If you look at it now and you have no context, you show that to like a 15 year old with no context, they look at it it's just a straight video there's yeah. nothing like it because that those stereotypes have become the norm and so um i think that the killing the, the the drug use the misogyny all that stuff is so much the norm that it just had to keep like um ratcheting up to get people's attention especially in a world where attention is the hardest thing to get
1: it's sensationalism man i mean you know 50 cent was on the 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 third Onyx album, and I owned that album before I knew it was 50 Cent. I think he was on React. When I first paid attention to 50 Cent, it was when he did How to Rob. Like, he came out and dissed everyone and said how he would steal their jewelry. And and that is, you know, a 1999 version of what Takashi did. You know, the first time a lot of people learned who the outlaws were, it was because they were standing next to Tupac, saying he and his foe were going to make sure, you know, no one's kids grew. And like, that ugliness, that violence, that vitriol, pushes through like it's free what did he say promotion and that will always win that will always permeate and there's a lot of artists if you go to any publication in the hip hop space besides ours the names that you see you look at you know why they're there the first time you heard of them pay close attention because sensation will always be it'll do more for you than than anything and that's true You know, I mean, you and I have had discussions over, you know, um, women and sexuality in hip hop. We've had that cuts far beyond just violence.
0: So at this point, the death and destruction in the music is sky high. The death amongst the rap community is like is like six times higher than it used to be. But the murder rate is down generally. And so that means there's a disconnect between our culture and real life, real society. And so that's a major, major problem. And we talked about how music can be influential. Um, let's talk about anti-violence rap songs. There have been plenty of movements out there. Um, uh, so self-destruction, you know, was something that like KRS1 started. Um, um, Stop the violence movement. Uh, it's about a couple years after Scott Rock was killed. Um, it's partly about that, but just also just a general like um, anti-violence coalition. Um, and, you know, that raised awareness. Um, it has some of the top rappers at the time, um, you know, participating. Um, you know, who are some of the people?
1: MC Light, LL, you know. Yeah,
0: MC Light, LL. I got the whole list here. Um, Stethosonic. Daddy-O. Um, yeah. Daddy-O, yeah. Yeah, Dougie Fresh. Justice, Heavy D, uh, Public Enemy, you know, they had some heavy hitters uh for the time on there. Um, but you know, it 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 came and went. It wasn't something that like had a lasting impact. It certainly didn't change the trajectory of the music because that only got more violent. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on the same gang was a West Coast version of that with Easy and produced by Dr. Dre and It was like to try and tamp down some of the uh, gang violence that was escalating in LA at the time. I think it was around 1990 or so. Um, And same kind of thing, you know, came and went. Um, You know, some other ones. You mentioned uh, Straight Bullet, but what are some of the other ones that stick out to you?
1: I played it this week in the wake of of Takeoff, but Heather B, All Glocks Down, um, which was a hardcore, you know, hip hop song about you know sort of like uh you know the the John Witherspoon part of Friday like you know fight this way not with a gun um that's definitely one i would you know it's a little later on but i think um two that around the same time black star's definition and dead prez hip hop both of those records you know um decried the locks of biggie and tupac dead prez said you know we basically know who killed Biggie, we're not doing anything about it. And and we're they're just calling for reality and, and enrichment of what is hip-hop about and stop all this misinformation of what we are based on what you're seeing in the headlines, those two. Um, what are some that you think of?
0: Yeah, man. Uh, you know, Nas, I gave you power, is one that I think of. Uh, one I, I would probably assume is uh, near and dear to your heart, gang stars, tons of guns. Yeah. And, you know, the one that really, like hit me in a whole different way this week you know it's just, it's been powerful to me all year from the first time i heard it but after takeoff's death really just like hit me in a different way was kendrick lamar's the hard part five you know um uh, because that one talks about the culture you know it talks about like uh the cultures involved Like that's a constant refrain about like how we're all kind of complicit in this, you know? And, you know, the reminder of Nipsey, and it really speaks very specifically to the impact that these deaths have on not just the person, but their families and people around them and the potential that's lost early. Like, it drives home the reality of this in a way that a lot of songs, I haven't heard many songs do, so that that's one. But, you know, as powerful as these songs are, they are by far the exception. They're not the yeah. norm, an and that they, they haven't changed behavior. What? Why do you think that is?
1: I mean, I sound like a broken record, but the bleeds it leads. I, I listened to Kendrick even before takeoffs, you know, death, and and I thought, you know, this record captures the value of life. You know, Kendrick really put himself out there, speaking as Nipsey, like, and and you know, he shouts out Black Sam in the song and. You wrote an amazing article when the video dropped, but I was like, this, we need songs that capture the value of life. I remember when Common put out The Light, and I was at a really important age, and I was like, damn, this is a hip-hop love song. This isn't just a hip-hop sex song. Yes, sex exists in the song, but this is about human connection and intimacy, and that was really hard to find in 99, 2000, and we need songs that are pushed in the front that value life and value forgiveness and value grace and value these other things. And so often it's the ops and it's revenge and it's getting the last word. And it's, you know, these very impulsive, vicious themes and and that'll always win. But, you know, to kind of take a step back, like, you know, you created Ambrosia for Heads and I've spent nine years working at it. To, to be a cultural connection to 25 on up year olds. So we have to live to be 25 year old, 25 on up year old. We have to be able to be 40, 50, 60, love hip hop and have the perspective and the wisdom to go back on it. And if we um, as heads are losing our people or we're losing each other or we're celebrating and glorifying, not getting there what does that say? Like that's, that's jacked up because also, you know, over the last five years, we're looking at Jay Z's 444, and we're looking at albums from Royce and Fonte and other people that talk about middle age, talk about family, talk about health. Um, so we need more of those messages in the front, and and that's I think what we're all here to do.
0: Yeah, and you know, when I step back too and think about it, I do think there is a balance that's happening. You know, um, so the quantity might be outnumbered uh, in terms of violence like the, the, and, and misogyny and you know all this stuff but i think in terms of commercial success um you know the, the some of the biggest artists out right now are not going down that path or certainly not to the extent that you know a lot of the commercial radio is so you think about kendrick uh one of the biggest selling albums of the year you think about drake one of the biggest selling albums of the year. You think about J. Cole, one of the biggest selling albums last year. There are a lot of artists uh, and they have longevity. They have staying power. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because people are seeking, you know, something that has light instead of just darkness all the time. And it's ironic to me that radio and companies are pushing the darkness when people clearly demonstrate they do want light too, you know, mm-hmm. I get it. Right, I'm not one to say take it all away because everyone wants their reality TV or the equivalent thereof, where it's not just like you know PBS documentaries all the time. Nobody wants that, but I think balance is the key, you know. And it's it's really really out of balance. So let's talk about other media, right? Because people always say, okay. Why is everyone picking on rap music? There's so much other stuff out there that's got violence. You know, there's TV, there's film, there's video games. Um, I think that those things have also gotten incredibly more violent over time. You, know, yeah. you think About John Wick. Um, you know, there's three installments of that movie. Um, I saw online that he's killed 299 people in three movies. One person, like he would be the most notorious serial killer of all time, if that was real life, you know? But it's it's funny and fiction, and people think it's great, even though, like, listen, you didn't see that kind of... And, and special effects and everything are so, so graphic now. You didn't see anything remotely close to that, even in the 80s. You know, even films like Die Hard were not anything like that, you yeah. know? Then you look at video games with First Person Shooter, where you actually get to blow people's heads off like repeatedly and stuff like that like so they don't get a pass either um in in my opinion those are are much more graphic and violent than they have been the difference is, is that um in other communities um you don't see video gamers killing themselves killing each other um you don't hear about like um you know um film goers like leaving and shooting each other like um there's there's something different going
1: on right now. Yeah. And just the misinformation about it. I remember like that same era we're talking about. My um my cousin had Doom, like the first iteration of Doom. And I remember like it was literally the first game that I ever remember seeing. And I was 11, 12 years old and you would shoot somebody's head off and it would explode. And to me, that was more jarring than listening to any Spice One <laughs> album at the time. Like, I'm just like, damn, like Nintendo allows this. But the difference is, is you play that game and you don't walk away and have a generalization in your mind about monsters too. Like one of the things that's frustrating to me is, you know, watching, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about it as we wrap, but like the way that the media is also running with this information in the face of everything that you're saying too, of, of murder rates being down and, and just the generalizations that are made based on an epidemic that is happening within, you know, a community and culture that, that you and I are are close to and, and, and part of, um, that's that's an issue to me too. Like, though you don't you don't see that laid on on death metal kids, you know, um, it's it's just super problematic to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I will say uh, to be um, non biased that there are a lot of studies, um, and um, it, it's often the case that when there's these mass shootings, like in schools and things like that. Often the the perpetrator has been someone you know. They played you know first person shooter games. They they uh, did watch violent film and things like that. So I don't think there's any doubt that that has impact for sure. But uh, it doesn't seem to be at the same level that it has been in rap um, in our community right now. So I want to talk too about you know we talked about you know death and in real life society. But I want to focus in on the Black community right now, because, you know, a lot of uh, what we talk about is that rappers are only reflecting what they are around, um, you know, what has influenced their lives, where they've grown up and what they've seen. And listen, man, I came across some really, really, really um, um, powerful stats. These are things that I think we all kind of know. But it's important to hear it like, in detail. So you know, young Black Americans ages 15 to 34 experience the highest rates of gun homicides across all demographics. Black, black Americans are 10 times more likely than white Americans to die by gun homicide. And in 2020, 12,179 Black Americans were killed with guns compared with 7,286 white Americans. If you think about the fact that Black Americans make up twelve and a half percent of the population and yet are almost twice the amount of um homicides against, you know, um against uh, you know, white people who make up the majority. It's it's um it's really, really stark and troubling. Um and so there's absolute merit a hundred percent, which we all knew that's not, you know, revelation that the violence that is surrounding a lot of rappers is, is real, you know, and, um, but again, um, when you look at the overall numbers, you know, it's still disproportionate to even what's happening in the community. So there's there's definitely still a disconnect with rap.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's very heavy statistics, what you just shared.
0: Yeah. So I want to talk about, the final piece, kind of like what role we play in this, and we is gonna be big, right? You know, so I want to start with us. A F H, you alluded to it already a little bit. I started A F H in part to speak with people 25 and older, but it was also really about picking out the the food, like the stuff that was gonna be nourishing, you know, um, not just stuff that was going to be dark and like shedding a light on that, and so. You know, I went through a period, 2007, 2008, where hip hop was no longer speaking to me. Now I was about to tap out. And then I heard J. Cole's The Warm Up and I got put on the Now Right. And my life changed because I realized there was a whole other world out there. I just had not discovered. And I wanted to be able to share that with more people. Um, so I've I've always tried and, you know, we've done this collectively together. To have our coverage be balanced to be informative but not salacious to not chase the um the the nastiness the 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 darkness in society i've tried that with the playlist too you know but you know listen if we were to cut out songs on the playlist there's always around 89 90 songs on there that if we were to take out songs that had dumb references I don't know if there'd be more than 20 songs on there, maybe 10, maybe maybe five. I don't know, you know, because it's very, very hard, even with the kind of music that we put on our platform. And, you know, when Nipsey Hussle died, we tried to like get a boycott going amongst other like media platforms to like not cover material that had gun violence for just one week, just boycott for one week. And we did this. And Dude, it was very difficult. We were, like, almost dark for the whole week. We couldn't even cover, like, a Big Royce. Big records dropped, yeah. You know, Royce Freestyle, Hot 97 Freestyle happened that time, too. We couldn't cover that either. But we were committed to it, you know? Um, so I feel like we're trying to do our part. Uh, but what do you think? Like, let, let's, let's self-assess.
1: I agree. I mean, and it's funny, too, because we can put parameters and not try to glorify, but there's also touchstone moments that matter in the culture that coincide with violence and gun violence. I mean, recently, we... Um, you know, I, I don't think you or I thought it was an incredible record, but the game just Eminem for like 10 minutes on his new album. And there's a lot of, you know, be them metaphors or similes. There's a lot of violence in that song. And you have two of the bigger artists of the last 20 years going at each other. We covered it. Um, you know, it, it becomes really hard, but there's an accountability um to afh from our images on to our headlines the actual reporting itself and there's a lot of care that goes into it but yeah i mean we exercise caution but it, it amazes me of what's still with that filter must be covered but one thing i will say is we don't we don't glamorize it and even down to verbs like you know smash that freestyle kill that beat you know whatever like both you and i i think even our vernaculars have changed over time of like and we see that too. I mean, we even see it with with the um with the the social platforms of how they treat that stuff, even in reporting important deaths, like how that gets treated now. it's all it's all relative to an overly violent universe.
0: yeah, man. And listen, like we both know the stats too, right? no matter how much we try and like celebrate the positive, it's always the deaths and the dishes and the beefs that get the most clicks you yep. know and we try and put the 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 medicine and the food we try and like you said cover it balanced and and have a context and give people some like um you know bigger like themes with it but it's that's always what what resonates the most you know kind of so part of it is just is, is just who we are as human beings and we'll get to that in a minute but let's talk about the, the media generally like I, you know i think we're the outlier yeah <laughs> that uh most people are chasing like the most salacious headlines they can get. Yep. You know, um, we talked about, we had a sidebar about TMZ because one of the more disturbing things about takeoff is that like, and this has been the case now for a lot of deaths uh, over the last couple of years that almost as soon as the person dies or even before, like there's video um, up showing the event and it's as graphic as, people can capture it. Most of the time it doesn't show the actual shooting because people don't have their camera out in time but there's been plenty of footage of people lying dying uh, i know there's graphic stuff with nipsey um there is stuff w- with takeoff tmz has become the place that breaks this news um you know and often i think they're the, one of the worst culprits this but what's your what's your take
1: on that 100 and there needs to be accountability there i think you said something really valuable earlier in the podcast if you can't unsee you can't unhear you can't unlearn these things and you know i'm sure we've all seen things on television film and the internet that we wish we could unsee and for me i didn't i was astounded this week that tmz would include photos of a dead bloody man like that and i know they blurred some things but still, and I asked myself, um, you know, would they have done that with Amy Winehouse? Would they have done that with Princess Diana? Would they have done that, you know, um, and that's, you know, really upsetting. in the Source magazine, you know, a place I wrote for for a time in my life when they were in print, you know, they put up photos of Nipsey the same way. And at what cost? And is there any accountability? Does anyone, you know, still hold the Source accountable for doing that? TMZ, I mean, you know, we as a culture need them because they have the ability to confirm news that otherwise seems as rumor. Does anyone hold them accountable? Um, E-News, you know, in the wake of this passing, ran a photo of Offset as takeoff. And I think that just shows you right there, you know, there's a gross mishandling of all of this stuff. Not to say journalists don't make mistakes. I've, I've made a few of them in my life, but um, there just seems to be a general you know, let me push this through, let me get this up. Let me give people all of this information. Um, And it's, it's got rugged consequences to it, you know, and I think we should all hold each other accountable and be super mindful of that. And make sure that, you know, if that's your prerogative, you know, if you show those things, be sure that you show it for everyone, you know, and not just when it's a 28 year old rapper, you know, and I'm, I'm saying that sarcastically. So, yeah, yeah, I don't.
0: Yeah, I, I uh, you know, I, I do think TMZ would put that up for anyone. I think they're an equal opportunity exploiter. Um, but you know, um, your point about E is well taken. And and listen, my point is it doesn't matter, black, white, you know, whatever. Um, I, I don't think that as human beings is something that we should be doing. Um, but you know, let's talk about record companies. That's the next like um you know thing that people point to as well. these record companies they're pushing this and pointing that, uh, pushing that um i'm I'm torn on this one, man. um on the one hand, it is absolutely the case that the music you hear on the radio skews uh very dark. um uh, it's the it's not the conscious stuff that you hear from Kendrick like uh you know even with him like um n95 is the um is the was the single and that was the drill music and like um uh, you know the more one of the more aggressive records on the album so it's clear and and, and just for people who don't know um if you make it onto the radio you got a record company typically behind you spending a lot of money to do that i'd heard some it cost like a million dollars i heard to get um a number one record so um it is indisputable that record companies do fund this. Um, I have a hard time believing that record companies would turn down money. And so if they had the opportunity to have 10 Kendricks and 10 Coles and 10 Logics and whatever it is, I think they would take it. Um, but, you know, there are other people who are convinced there there's other agendas out there. What, what do you think?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's always going to push to the top. And I think that record companies benefit from controversy. I think we've seen that, um, you know, I I just read that, you know, Takeoff, even in his passing, got over a million new Instagram follows since November 1st. And that's super troubling. Like, you know, but people are curious. They want to know more. They hit a button. And that reminds me a lot of when an artist, be it Tupac or Big L or Big Pun passes and people raise curiosity and there have been times in beefs where there's been the same distributor or record label on both sides of it i look at the game in 50 cent or you know there's other examples but the same the money goes to the same ultimate place and it's i don't think that's going to change anytime soon i really don't and, and those same people absolutely have conscious artists but the powers that be will always lead towards um more vice than virtue
0: yeah I think um, I think maybe the focus shouldn't be on um, how they promote, but maybe what they don't filter because it's absolutely a choice, and there's only a few gatekeepers, there's only three major record labels um and there's you know a handful of executives who control those labels, yeah, and they if they chose not to put out certain types of music and I don't hear this kind of hateful music um you know perpetuating violence on violence in other communities you know maybe those communities don't make that music but like i just don't hear it you know um but to me it seems like you know if you value black life in the same way um you wouldn't you you might think differently about putting out that kind of music you know um so i think that is a that's something to think about with record companies you know yeah. um I, I, I. for distribution so radios and the digital service providers like spotify and apple music i think they go where the record companies go but you know to your point man like those are in theory more democratic you know mm-hmm. it's people pulling up what they want to hear and if you're telling me the nine millimeter goes bang is bdp's number one song yeah then, damn dog, like that. That leads me to. Uh, that's not the, the the platform. That's the people. That's us. Talk about that. But but you know, I want to say that one for last. But but what do you, you think that the 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 distribution should be held more culpable, or should have a? Greater- no, I
1: mean, I, I think it's I think it's democratic, and I I mean I I agree with you, and I'm not. You know, you and I actually went to bat. Um, you know, when there was a time when the major DSPs were talking about removing some of the artists that were in the headlines for very, you know, heinous and negative stuff at that point. And while they can, you know, shadow ban them from playlisting and all that, and I don't really care about that, to take that music away altogether, I think is is, is a slippery slope. Um, and yeah, I'm not going to blame them on that. We the people are still peeking through the keyhole and and consuming the stuff.
0: Yeah. All right, man. So this is a big one. This came up in another group chat. Like, there's all pointing on the community, um, the record companies, the the platforms. um, You know, what about the artists? You know, the artists, in my experience, often don't even live the life that they're talking about on record. You know, um, a lot of them may have come up in that. But eventually, achieve a certain level where they've moved to a completely different area they're not around that you know um and also like a lot of them uh like behind closed doors not you know i've been around a ton of artists as have you conduct themselves completely differently in person behind closed doors than they do in public you know um or on wax that's just, that's troubling to me, especially when you're talking about keeping it real. Yeah. And if you're like, if you're saying real is like violence and mayhem, uh, but you're not living anything close to that, that's like the epitome of, of fake to me. And, you know, uh, I will call this person out by name because this was a major story three years ago, but Future has been a person who promoted drug use, um, you know, for a long time, was one of the biggest proponents of it, got a lot of people.
1: Dirty Sprite.
0: Yeah, on Dirty Sprite, right? Um, and it came out a couple of years ago that he had been sober for three years, but didn't let anyone know that. Like, so he's still making music promoting drug abuse instead of like you know using the opportunity to like talk about how he kicked it and like you know the consequences that he suffered for it and why you shouldn't do that. Like, that to me is a, that's 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 next level, you know.
1: I wholeheartedly agree. And I think, again, you know, I'll use Jay as an example. If Jay can make us, you know, stop wearing, you know, triple X, you know, throwback jerseys and rims that spin. Let's look at him with the same intensity. It's not just Jay. You and I had a great conversation with Big Poo from Little Brother where he was really open of, of at times in his career working another job entirely to support his dreams. Like there is so much more in that than shooting somebody on wax or you know posting up mean mugging on the gram with with a gun you know like all that stuff and and i think that we have to get past that as a culture and and by no means am i even you know this doesn't even necessarily speak to the takeoffs of the world um because from what i know of the migos and takeoff that wasn't really part of their mo but there are artists out there that that you know deal with some of the same things that ultimately end up being their fate. And that is really, really heartbreaking. And the message that that sends to their, you know, thousands and hundreds of thousands of millions of fans is super detrimental.
0: Agreed. Well, well said. So the last thing, man, last thing I want to talk about is the people. And I mean, all of us, um, because you know, you mentioned we, we talked about TMZ putting those photos up uh, in the video. The reality is someone there had to take those photos. Someone had to shoot that video. Someone had to uh, send it, upload it, like, you know, prep it, like really like spent time thinking about how to best put this out there to the most people in the world. Profit from it. Um. Millions and millions of people click millions of people like click many times sensitive friends you know um we have an appetite for destruction uh, we talked about this you know a little bit um, with Kanye stuff and his self-destruction. We have an appetite for seeing carnage. Um, and I don't know what the psychology behind it is like you know everyone's the reason why traffic jams happen because there's an accident on the other side of the road because people want to see that. I think before any of us can like talk about why doesn't the gun violence stop and stop the gun violence we got to look in the mirror and ask ourselves when are we going to stop consuming it when are we going to stop demanding it um I think that's the, the biggest the biggest question and the biggest solve there, there is no record company pushing it if it's not selling there's yeah. no radio station playing there if no one's listening there's no nine millimeter goes bang as the number one BDP song if no one's pressing play, you know, so that, that to me is like the biggest thing.
1: That's hundred percent true. And, you know, I, I think of Vanessa Bryant, you know, um, suing those folks on the scene that took a photo of the, you know, wreck in, in 2020, you know, the helicopter accident. I mean, just the, the, the perverseness of people to want to always, and I don't know if it's cloud chasing or, or that curiosity that you're talking about, but that has to stop. And, you know, one of the things that I'm mindful, I mean, we've spoken about it, you know, financially on this program of like, you know, be mindful of where you spend your dollars, be mindful of what you put you know, on your eyes and ears. And, you know, I'm, this isn't preaching either. I don't listen to Hit em Up by Tupac anymore. I don't need that message, but I guarantee you there's songs that I've listened to in the last week, that are not of, you know, any more merit than that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and and we should all just be super, super mindful of what we click on and that. And and it, you know, it starts within.
0: Yeah, I mean, people muted our Kelly, right? Like, why not mute um, some things that are perpetuating? Um, the violence has taken um, lives. You know, so. I got
1: another artist from Chicago, a little bit muted right now. So yeah, you know, like we're all making these choices, yeah. and and yeah, where does it start? Because that's what ultimately is going to bring systematic change. You know, especially yeah. in the music community.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, I'm gonna start by committing to never listening to those listening to those tracks on um, a field for Zagat again. I'm going to say right now that I'll never listen to those tracks again. Um, you know, um, the, the 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 ones that I found despicable, the ones that had a little bit of uh, that had some social commentary. Yeah, I'll listen yeah. to Mark Humber, but, you know, To Kill a Hooker, F- Find Them, F and Flee. Uh, she Swallowed. It. I don't have any need to ever listen to those songs again. That's that's a wrap for me.
1: Yeah, you know, you make a really good point. My favorite record that E-40 has ever done um, is a joint with Be Legit on, you know, his uh, his Hall of Game album. And there's a record, there's a line in there that's about, you know, statutory rape. And I this year, I just can't listen to that anymore. Like, you know, it's not a record I can show you as a song of the day. Like, Cause at one point you're going to hear it on there and be like, "Huh?" like, so yeah, I, I think starting with those commitments is, is really good. And I guarantee you from that on down, I'm going to be making some as well.
0: Word, word. well, with that in mind, man, um, what's your song of the week?
1: I texted it to you hours after I learned to take off. I'm going to, you know, shout out to Heather B and all glocks down. I just, um, yeah, I think, I think that's the message for today for me. What about you?
0: For me, it's a song that that uh, came out last Friday um, from Absol, one of um, my favorite records of his ever, and also very pertinent to this discussion. It's called "Do Better." Um, it's challenging himself and all of us to do better, and so yeah, that's my song of the week.
1: Love that song! It's on our playlist right now. It's probably my most listened to hip hop song this week. So shout out to that man, and I hope uh, I hope we can get some weeks and months before we talk about another loss and this thing we love
0: for sure. All right, man. Uh, Take care of yourself. Yeah, man.
1: You too. Happy early birthday, man. Until we do it again. Thank you. All right. Peace.